Welcome back to Sports Tech Atlanta's Seed Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Sterling Mack. Joined on the other end by Taylor Mack. Uh, we'll hit some sports stories at the at the start here. We'll, kind of, we'll talk a little Padres, Tatis, uh, discuss you know our thoughts on the Dak Watson kind of conversation. I think it's interesting just like where Watson is, you know, where, how he's viewed, how he's valued, and like I guess really just how we've kind of forgotten about Dak. Um, and then we'll get into some sports tech stories as well. I'll start off here at the beginning and just want to highlight something out of our out of our hometown. Uh, the Atlanta Braves have partnered with uh, Rapsado, which is a leading provider of baseball tracking for pitchers and for hitters. Uh, so what they were doing is they're giving 10 baseball programs from historically black colleges and universities access to the player development technology. So the Braves will also introduce the technology to its local youth development program as a way to advance development and recruitment opportunities for underserved youth. So shout out to the Braves. Shout out to them doing something super cool. Obviously, we've um, we've highlighted Rapsado uh in one of our podcasts when we had chris harvey on uh who is a leading scout for the new york mets uh so definitely go back and check that podcast out but uh really cool here to uh see them doing that and obviously giving more opportunities for those hbcus and also for the local youth within atlanta so staying in baseball uh fernando tatis here uh recently as we, as the young kids say, right, secured the bag, um, fourteen year deal, three hundred forty million dollars, essentially like a hundred million dollars signing bonus. There's a ton of kind of ins and outs. I, I kind of went back and forth with some high school friends because this guy tweeted immediately right after the deal was done, like he's going to lose one hundred eighty nine million. He's go he's only going to make one hundred eighty nine million dollars because of like taxes and living in California and all this other stuff. I was like, that's not how that works, um, which. Obviously, people thought I was like trying to argue. I wasn't trying to argue. I was just saying, right? There's some weird things within his deal. Part of it is the fact that you know he did this. A lot of uh, younger guys now are starting to um, essentially take a little payment and in, and in hopes of right. And it's really like from an investment firm perspective, in hopes of uh, them getting a share of your major league deal. So essentially, Tatis has to pay an investment firm off the top here from his $340 million. Plus he gets a hundred million dollar signing bonus. So then, you know, he can claim that different places, yada, yada, yada. So not getting into the, the inner workings of the contract, it's, but I, it's 27 million. That's going to go to that investment firm um, that invested in him, hoping yeah. that he did a big 27, yeah. 27 million is a big payoff. So I wonder how much they, you know, they up, they upfront staked him, staked him up front. Um, but yeah, big uh, ROI there with a 27 million, 27 million coming back to that firm. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's there's a larger discussion there on if that's a little predatory on some of these younger guys that obviously when you're in the minor leagues aren't making a ton of money. On the other side, to your point, right? I mean, it's it gives cash to younger kids who are able to kind of go do some things, maybe protect their families, do some, um, you know, buy some things, whatever, especially if they feel like their value at the time. You know, Tatis is a super young dude. He's 22 years old, right? If you feel like your value at the time isn't what the minor leagues are able to pay you. So, uh, yeah, maybe I'd love to – maybe we actually dive into that. I'd love to get – there's a couple firms out there doing that with some former players. Maybe we try to get them on. But um, let's talk the contract because, like, I mean, 14 years, $340 million. I think the, the tough thing for a lot of people right now is, like, he is 22 years old, right? Let's 
let's look at some of his stats here as of recent, right? So he's really only played two years. One of those years was the shortened COVID season. Um, 2019 is really, really when he hits the ground here. Uh, it, at that time, playing 84 games, 334 at bats. In those at bats, three a 317 average with 22 home runs. Last year, uh, in 59 games, again the COVID shortened season, 277 average. He was really the front runner for the uh, you know MVP for a while there. Um, with 17 home runs and 45 RBIs. Is that enough for you to stake your franchise? Obviously, he plays shortstop, so he plays in the middle of the diamond. He's in that position. Is that enough for you if you were a GM to be like, hey, I'm I'm leveraging everything that we have here on this 22-year-old? No, it's not. Just to answer that uh, in short, um, I don't understand. And I, and I get like from a fan perspective and, and trying to lock a player down, you know, you want to go for those long contracts. But from a team and just a personal structure, like for myself, yeah, I'm. I you see the big price tag at the end of the day, three hundred and forty. Uh, he's he's making just ten over over Bryce Harper's deal, or he's ten less. One of the one of the two. Um, but I don't like the long term structured deals. A from a player perspective, unless you have opt outs after say six or uh, seven, somewhere around that those lines, but. You know, your market, the market value, the market can change. And then your value in the next five years could technically be, you know, through the roof in comparison to where it is now. And so if you had a clause in there where you can, you know, look at a restructure, depending on what you've put statistic stat wise uh, and done on the field from a performance standpoint, then I have no problem with it. But um, putting a claim into somebody for so long and you see these MLB contracts, I mean, there's there's so many lucrative ones. I mean, the biggest one back in the day, but I mean, this was after he proved himself with the manners was, uh, you know, that, that a rod contract of getting in 10 years and two thirty five was it at the time or two fifty five, two fifty two, two fifty two. So, you know, that changed it up, but he was, that was from a veteran standpoint. And now, uh, it's he a little bit predatory. 25. He was 25. Mm-hmm. Had, yeah. But he had, I thought it was just a couple more years than what Tati's had in the league. So I'm just going for I'm just my point is, is I think, you know, you look around the league and the teams have the advantage here of saying we lock you in long term. The deal looks great on paper, um, but your value can be so much more. I mean, Acuna got locked in and, you know, you take these young players and you throw these deals at them and it's great. Um, but I just don't like the long term commitment because your value can change as a player unless you have, opt, you know, you can opt out. And then from a struck and then from a team standpoint. Do you really get that return from these players locking him in? I mean, look at Miami. Miami was on the hook to pay Giancarlo. I mean, it was a twelve-year deal, uh, but it was it was a it was a double di- it was a double-digit year contract. But the next thing you know, he turns around and he's you know they trade him to the Yankees, and so it was third. His was thirteen years, two hundred twenty-five million dollars. Yeah, so like I like personal. I like to structure deals if I could six years and then. Um, long-term options with like you know, another four or something that we can revisit, but I don't like the long-term deals. I think it's more predatory on these young, the younger players, because obviously you're going to jump in and say automatically, yeah, let's go with it. And who's going to turn out $340 million at the end of the day. Um, and obviously the pay has got to go down towards the back half of that contract as well. I have to look at the structure. So I'm not a fan of the long-term deals, but I'm happy that that buddy got paid. What do you think? Yeah. I don't think it's predatorial. I mean, they're making it's, I mean, yeah, I'm talking about, and I'm not, I'll have millions of dollars. 
uh, at all. And it's like, you know, yeah, it's million. We're talking millions here, but I'm I'm looking at the value of a player and what they can potentially bring in more. Continue to to continue to get that generational wealth to come in. That's all I'm looking for. We're trying to change families, generations to come down the line so that everybody can be successful. Yeah, I think the way I look at it is on two sides, right? On one, I want every player, I want every person, right, to make as much money as they can. And for players, uh, you know, you're guaranteed in baseball your check. So to be able to sign, you know, many, you know, we can really just look at like the top 10 deals right now. Right. So uh, Trout's 12 years, he becomes a free agent in 2031. He's $426 million. Mookie Betts free agent in 2033 for 12 years, 365. Tatis, so we just talked about 14 with 340. Bryce Harper is 13 for 330 free agent in 2032. Stanton uh, free agent in 2029. Like you said, originally signed with Miami, uh, 13 for 325. Garrett Cole, 9, 324. Machado, 10, 300. Nolan Arenado, 828 for 260. Miguel Cabrera, 8 for 248. I love the mates. I love the mates. Them them eight contracts, perfect. And Strasburg is 7 for 245. I think to your point, I think what's difficult is um, if you – as we read all these names, right, only one of these guys has a World Series under his belt, World Series championship under his belt. Mm-hmm. And that's Mookie Betts. And to be honest, right, he was just – he's on an amazing team. He played great during the playoffs, yada, yada. But I think what's tough when you start to really look through a lot of these numbers – Strasburg. Uh, oh, good point, yeah. Good point, Strasburg, yeah. They did yeah. win. But outside of that, right, I think it's it, – it becomes very difficult, I think. It becomes difficult, right? You're You're leveraging so much on one player – Right, like I mean, that Robinson Cano deal back, right? He signed that in 2014, but 10 years, 240 million dollars for the Mariners, right? And look at where the Mariners are at. Yeah, and now he's on the Mets, and just I think what's difficult. If I was a GM, to your point, it's not that I don't want to give guys the money. I just don't want to place 10 years on a guy. On you know what I mean? Like it's great for fans. You know what I mean? Like there's. There's some arguments around like the way the NBA is doing things right now with just free agents and guys moving around or like the Harden situation. It's great when you can pencil in a guy for 10, 12, 14 years for your organization. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, I want a little flexibility to not have this huge 30 to $40 million you know, check every, every year that we got to write to a guy that doesn't have that same value, right? And that's also the difficult. I mean, this is this becomes a bigger thing about baseball is most of these guys don't really get these contracts right until they're either entering their prime, right, or they're like thirty years old, right? The the pool hole steal, right? He gets that at thirty one. There's no way he's going to like maximize that value on the field. Maybe you right. get it from tickets or because you know he's hit like five hundred six hundred his five hundred and six hundred home run for the Angels. Yeah, that's cool, right? But. Is that doing anything for you on the field? Are you you're not winning? Your value isn't doing anything, right? Like right. So and it's stuff like who wants to really go see Albert Pujols play right now? And I think that's the thing. So I own. I disagree when the contract length is long and guys are older, but it, I think it's perfect for someone like Fernando Tatis, right? Who is 22 years old, who's just gonna continue to get you hope, right? Just continue uh-huh. to get better and really be one of the best players in the game. For the next decade, same thing with bats. Trout's the best player maybe we've ever seen. So, uh, yeah, it's tough. 
it, it, it's if from a GM perspective, I think it's super tough because on one side you got to pay these guys because someone else is right? right. But I think it always hurts your team kind of in the long run when you just hinge so much money on one guy and you're really just not building out anything else. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with those points there, and it's just. It's a game you have to play as a GM and uh, the way you want to structure your team and what you can have available um, money-wise at the end of the day so that you can put assets out on the field as well or, you know, you know whatever field, court, however you want to look at this, whatever sport. Um, but that's where I would be. That's what I would do if I was in that position. You know, let's take the middle approach and giving guys the, comfort- the comfortability of knowing that um, – you know, we we are invested in you monetarily and from a you know a year structure, so that you know, from a family standpoint, you guys can do what you need to do and uh, you can live comfortably. And the pressure is on for these you know five six years, but um, we can then revisit where you're at. You know, I would go if I yeah I would have it as if I'm going to hit double digits, it's it's going to be a definite lock in for six, and then we're going to revisit for the next four on what your production is and that value, and so that can fluctuate off of what we need to pay out. But, you know, congratulations to these guys for getting paid. Yeah, and, th- I mean, you you brought up a name, too, and this is why I hated the Acuna deal in, I think it was 2019 when he signed it, mm-hmm. um, because he was 21 at the time, and he essentially just gave the Braves this huge discount that he didn't need to do, right? Yeah. Um, he potentially won't become a free agent until he's – 29 going into his like 29th year in 2027. That's only if the club doesn't pick up his option at $17 million. And why would they not? Right. At that time, you assume his value would be at like 35, $40 million. Right. So it's great for the Braves. I know I just, I'm kind of contradicting myself, right. Cause I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth between the player and the GM, but um, I always, I always had a problem with that deal. And now seeing what Tatis just got at 21, at 21 years old makes the Acuna deal like way worse. So um, yeah. But again, like you said, shout out to Tatis, man. That's amazing. I, I, I truly, a lot of people are scared because he's so young, just putting that on him. But I think he's one of the best players we've, we've seen. And I think at that position too, he's going to be, you, you kind of compared him to A-Rod, right? I think he'll be a very similar player from the power, the ability to run, the ability to play defense. Yeah. Let's get into um, let's get a little football. There's a lot of talk, especially where I live currently uh, here in Charlotte, because the deal was leaked about Watson being traded to the Panthers for three first round picks and for Christian McCaffrey. And then the kind of the question became kind of in my head is like, why do we value Deshaun Watson? above Dak Prescott the way that we do, right? And is that fair? So I'm going to read a couple quick things. You got to really look back to 2019, right, from a player grade perspective. Mm-hmm. But in 2019, uh, Dak Prescott's player grade, this is pro football focus, was 80.1. In 2019, Deshaun Watson was 81.3, mm. right? So it was essentially kind of the same thing, right? And if we're looking at, again, this is 2019, passing yards that year, Watson was 13th. That year, Dak was second, right? Passing touchdowns, Dak was fourth. 
Deshaun Watson was tied for eighth. And then interceptions, they're about the same. Um, Deshaun Watson threw 12 interceptions, which tied for 11th. And Dak threw 11 interceptions, which had him 14th. So essentially the same, right? So why do we – why is it? Why do we value Dak lower than Deshaun Watson when it feels like they're probably the same player? I think it becomes I think it comes from all of the yearly disrespect that Deshaun got even from coming out of college. So he was never given his flowers the same way that Trevor Lawrence has been given his flowers. And they really did the same thing, if you think about it. Um, And what Deshaun Watson brings to the to the field is a skill set that really is unmatched when you look at legs and. Uh, throwing. I know you just read the stats there between he and, between he and Dak, but it's just kind of a playmaker ability that you just see when you see it live. You're like, it's he's just he's just a special player. Like like Dabo said of him being Jordan, he really does bring that type of mentality, and you know the game is never out of reach uh, with Deshaun. So I want to say that the disrespect that Deshaun got early, I think people are trying to flip that narrative and give him his value that he always should have had. He should have never gone behind Mitch Trubisky. He should have been, he should have been drafted higher. He should have been, he shouldn't have been as criticized or questioned for his skill set coming out of Clemson the way that he was, even though he went in the first round. And so I think people are now trying to give him his, you know, give him his flowers as, as so to speak, um, when he wasn't given it before. But I think it's a great question of you posing it like that when they have the same and similar stats. I think Dak has gotten much more love because, you know, quote unquote, he's on America's team. And, you know, you, you hear in week in, week out, you know, Skip Bayless always defends him. Big talking heads always talk about the Cowboys and what Dak has done and then what the team was provided since so that Dak could flourish. And so um, I think from a statistic standpoint, they're there, but – from what has been from a value standpoint, I think Deshaun was always undervalued and they're just trying to flip that narrative really. But I also think before my, before I pass it back to you, they are giving teams are giving up way too much, way too much to bring in Deshaun Watson. Uh, no disrespect. That's just so much that you're giving away that I don't think uh, from a team cycle, that's like a two or three year rebuild. If it doesn't work out five year rebuild. Yeah, that's that, that's kind of how I'm trying to frame the question. Like, are why? I mean, it feels that's what I mean. That's how it starts, right? Three first round picks plus Christian McCaffrey, who's arguably like the, the best all around player in the game, right? Right. Um, that just feels like a lot for a guy that is probably you know maybe between seven and fifteen every year as far as like best quarterbacks go. Um, now, last year, I think you know Deshaun Watson maybe took to your point took a jump his ability to. Playmake, obviously not having DeAndre Hopkins, not having a great running game. They've always had a terrible offensive line. His player grade last year was 92.5, first in passing yards, seventh in touchdowns, uh, 10th in in overall attempts. So, yeah, I mean, it's tough, though. I I feel like on one side, maybe to your point, there's this kind of, um, yeah, resurgence of like how we want to view – Deshaun Watson, but also this this forgetfulness, obviously because Dak was hurt last year. That that they're really they're really about the same, right? Now I, I would argue too, maybe Dak's had uh, more pieces around him, better offensive line, better running game, yeah, much uh, better supporting cast, in my opinion. Yeah, 
and and was in a worse conference and wasn't able to essentially get the job done if you want to look at it in that way so yeah but uh it'll be interesting i think obviously teams can't until the cowboys decide what they want to do because Dak was on a a, um, franchise tag i believe that comes up in like march 9th is when the cowboys have to make a decision there what they're doing moving forward with Dak for this year and then teams obviously uh Dak would then become a restricted free agent so um yeah, well, very. I, I was gonna say I think we we should revisit this question when or if he does become a free agent, and let's see, you know, or not, no, sorry, not before he becomes a free agent, but if trade talks pop up and seeing what the value is from Dak from other from other team standpoint, do they put it in the same level as Deshaun Watson, or do they say I've and this is another no disrespect, I've always seen Dak as a game manager where I have Deshaun as a game breakout star if that makes sense. The pieces yeah. that were put around Dak and what has been from, like you said, O-line, right wide receivers, um, running back, obviously. Uh, Dak, it, there's no disputing what Dak was starting to do last season, and he was going bananas. But I've always still seen you know, him as the, the, the very good game manager, and that's what you always you – know, you, if you have that as a quarterback, you can win Super Bowls, um, yeah. i.e. You know, Eli Manning. So – no hate there, but yeah, Dak. I mean, I think Deshaun just brings another level, and um, you give away so much to bring him in. If you're the Panthers, you know what can you put around him instead of just bringing this name and saying yeah he's going to fix the the problems that you've had. When you give away Christian McCaffrey, first rounders, you'd have to just work the free agent pool and hope that what Deshaun's name is does what LeBron does name wise in the NBA. In attracting talent and hoping that people are like, all right, my deal's done. I'm going to go play with Deshaun or some talking to my agent, get me to Deshaun. Yeah. I get you there. No, I, I, I think you hit a lot of great points there. Yeah. I, I think Dak is, is more in that game manager mode, right? Like, like, like he's a, a better version of Jim, Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Could do a little bit more, maybe a little bit, a little bit more athletic, but Deshaun has that wow factor. Yeah. Um, that a lot of teams are wanting, right? Um, and and feel like if they're a couple pieces away, he fits that mold to be your quarterback to lead you into the future and, and hopefully to yeah. the, um, to a Super Bowl. So I mean, that's why I think, and I know we're spending a little, we're kind of overtime on this on this topic, but uh, that's why I think Jerry Jones hasn't paid him because I think in his eyes, that's what he views Dak as, and is a very good quarterback, but someone who um, kind of manages the team. And if he if he looked at Dak the way that teams look at Deshaun or the way that he holds Russell Wilson in value, he would have been paid. Yeah, true. true. I think. So It's a great point about old, old Jerry. That's what I think it comes down to. And people try and throw these – there could be undertones with, with, with stuff there as well, um, especially you – know, but uh, I think the, the respect that he has for Dak I, I think is genuine. Um, but when he looks at the X's and O's, cause you know, Jerry is a football man, you know, son's own Arkansas. I'm I love, I know football. I know my stats. I know what I like to see from my players. I will, I have, like he said, I have, my hand does not cramp in writing checks is what he says. So I just think that's what he values. I think that's where he sees the value from Dak as a quarterback and as a game manager and not a bona fide absolute star. He, yeah. yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, from those two black quarterbacks to uh, another one who's kind of on the 
unfortunate decline. It was crazy to see Cam last year on the Patriots and just nothing felt right after he got COVID. And I don't, I don't have an answer for that, but there's a, we were about to go live here today. And then this clip came up of this kid at, it looked like Cam was at a camp in Georgia. He always does these like football camps down there. Uh, Obviously he's from just outside of Atlanta and this kid starts clapping at him. Now maybe this kid's trying to go viral and uh, you know, someone's on TikTok like filming it and Essentially, the kid's like, you're about to be a free agent. You're a free agent. And just kind of going at him. And then Cam comes with a clap back that uh, I, unfortunately, have had to use it at some point. And essentially called the kid broke, which was weird. It's like, I'm rich. Yeah. It's like, I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. It's like, bro, yeah. Like, yeah. Cam, yeah, wasn't, rich. Cam wasn't ready. It, it was That was not a day for Cam. Uh in the trash talk mode, I just wasn't expecting. First off, though, the disrespect by the kid, though, like so much. What, there was no, literally, no need. I don't know. I mean, the video clip was short, but no need to talk to Cam like that. Um, let alone, like, why? Like, what's wh- what does the kid get out of that? Like, Cam is holding his like flag football team's attorney or something like that. So this right. is something Cam is doing to benefit these kids, and you're just out here just talking cat. Like, it'd be funny if like. You know, you're talking, you know, football, but why are you like trying to come at Cam like that? Like if it was in the moment of trash talking, like in the game or something between both teams, like whatever, but it didn't seem like that was the case. Yeah. Just, you know, there's something about, I don't know. I'm not trying to get on like a, like a get off my lawn type of rant, but it's just like, like, yeah, you're there. (laughs) You're very fortunate to be there around this guy that's won an MVP. Like, yeah. The last thing I think if I was an athlete in that like position would be to talk shit to Cam Newton, right? Yeah. So I, just, I just don't under – to your point, again, unless you're just trying to go viral, I just don't understand that from any perspective there. Yeah, I, I didn't get it. But uh, I, I always believe in Cam, and I think he'll have a good year wherever he goes next year. Um, I mean, he's, he's going to be – we have to be we have to be honest, right? And, and we've there's been some noise that maybe Pittsburgh is going to bring him in, but he's going to be a backup. I think the Pats bring him back because I don't think I know I don't think the Pats think that they can jump up enough to get a quarterback. So I think he's going to come back to New England, and uh, you get Edelman back. The best bet is for him to come back to New England. I think he needs to be. I mean, I, I think also we need to really talk about the deficiencies of Josh McDaniels, and I think Tom Brady tried to say it for a while, right, without saying it, but his offense isn't great, and no. when you don't have Top end tight ends or a top end slot receiver, his offense is really predictable and easy to guard. Um, I'm not saying that's the full reason why Cam struggled last year. Obviously, Cam was not great and didn't, re- you know, was not seeing blitzes all the time and just not getting the ball to the right people and yada, yada, yada. But um, yeah, I, I, I think it's it, I, for Cam, if he wanted to have one more season, right? What's he, 31? So. At the end of his kind of athletic peak here, and obviously with all the injuries, I feel like for him, he would need to go to a more, um, yeah, a different type of offense that would aid what he does best. Yeah, good points about Cam. But you know what I've really been like missing? I mean, as we talk sports, I just want to be in the stadium again. I want to be able to just have a normal time, go out, enjoy a football game, enjoy a baseball game, do something interactive just so I can feel that sense of normalcy again 
And it looks like somebody's, you know, trying to figure it out. Uh, Sky Worlds has a little VR partnership with the Premier League so that you can like virtually be in the stands and and watch the game. And that's the most beautiful thing for these sports restrictions that we've had. And I'm excited to see if I can try. You got to have an Oculus, though. But it's the thing that's kind of bringing a little normalcy back to COVID. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome, right? So Sky Worlds is a new virtual reality app. Uh, It's on Oculus Quest, like you said, and the Quest 2. They're kicking it off with sports. Um, You can watch live Premier League matches. Uh, You can get the analysis uh, throughout the game, uh, plus see the sporting events um, on, like, Sky Sports channels, which is super cool. It's got this, you know, really this, like, 180 view, so you feel like you're in the stadium or, like, at different vantage points within the stadium. Um, It's just a great way to bring sports back to you. To your point, I mean, I've been just missing – watching some of these games like Steph Curry going off and things like that and being like, man, I just, I just wish I was there in, in the stadium and being able to feel that. And, and sky world uh, is bringing that to you uh, through VR. Yeah. Just throw the headset on and see the only thing that's kind of weird is you, you kind of feel reclusive a little bit because you're going to, you're in your own virtual world essentially, but like to watch the game live and it's like you're, you know, sitting in row three or something like that. And you're just looking left and right. You get that 180 degree view if you wanted to have it. I mean, right now it's for soccer, but um, yeah, you, you get that real feel of watching the game, the way the game is supposed to be viewed. If you got the money though, you know, it's the, the, them lower seats cost a little bit, but uh, I do like the partnership that they brought along and people are trying to do their part in this uh, weird world that we got going on. But, I think this is a, a step in the direction, uh, the right step, step in the right direction. Sorry, tongue twister there, of bridging that gap of a fanless environment right now, which is sports. Yeah, which is, it's you know, it's one of these things where if this takes off now, I feel like it's perfect because, to your point, right on the one side, it's like ah. Uh, you know, maybe I can't get to the game today. I can just throw on a headset and just kind of go kick it. There is a ability within, you know, as you have the headset on to be able to like kind of communicate and chat with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously you need some of your friends to be able to have it and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's such a great way to bring sports kind of back to you and give you that experience. It's just been so different just to kind of watch everything on TV. It's nice, right? I, I love being able to like really not leave my couch sometimes, but also yeah. miss miss those vantage points that you would be at or be seeing uh, when, when you're in a stadium. So shout out to a uh, shout out to sky world. Yeah. And um, you know, you, it'd be cool if you can put the head with the headphones on too at the same time. So you get the, the real crowd uh, and stadium stadium sounds. And so, you know, I want to pop in, do it on VR for a second, and then I'll take it off for a second and watch it on TV. But just having that options, it's uh, it'll be really cool if it continues to expand out like that. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. The um, the next one from a sports technology, I guess really this is this is a product here, but we we highlighted some new advancements within football helmets. This was really at the beginning of, of the summer there as COVID had hit and everyone was trying to kind of pivot a little bit. But um, the NFL now says they have their first position-specific helmet created for its players representing a major uh, major step, right? So this helmet is designed for 
uh, head impacts that take place for offensive and defensive linemen. The helmet was released by uh, Vices, um, which is which is super cool, right? I, I, it's one of those things I wanted to ask you that. What is what is that when they're saying that technology in the front of the helmet? What is that doing essentially for alignment or for defensive linemen on an everyday kind of like on it? I guess every play essentially, right? It's basically all this says to me is we don't know how to take headshots out of the game. So the only way that we can make it safer is by putting more armor in areas uh, specific for you know position specific players to try and protect you. So why wouldn't they? I mean, it's interesting, right, that they call this out as position specific. Would you feel like everyone would – because, I mean, running backs and wide receivers, they also really lower their heads. Or is it just feeling like making sure that, to your point, right, the repeated hit to the helmet at the point of contact for a defensive and offensive lineman is where this needed to be for their helmets? All I know is is history tells you when something – when someone gives you more protection uh, in a certain area, all that does subliminally is – give confidence to a player that I can do it. Be It's okay if this happens a little bit right. more um, and I'm protected. What'd you say? That's a good point. Yeah. And so they're like, uh, I'm more, I'm protected because that's what they're looking to do um, as they know they can't take this out of the game. So I shouldn't have to worry too much if I am dropping my head a little bit. So like you said, so for running backs, uh, O-linemen, middle linebackers, you're probably going to see more protection on the front side. Quarterbacks are looking at putting – uh, more protection and it says it adds six ounces to the helmet um so quarterbacks you know i think this works better for qbs because you do have those often moments where you're slung down to the ground and you get that whiplash and your head hits the ground but if you're telling regular players who have that constant contact uh you know between an o lineman and a d lineman that we're hey we're putting six ounces more protection uh on the front side to protect your you know f- the your brain in the front but um, so on paper, it looks like they're trying to do something and it's a good initiative, but, uh, no, not, not really. It's just saying that you can now hit there and you should be a little bit better protected, but, um, we're not really trying to take that out of the game. If you really wanted to protect players and, uh, you've seen the dark night, right? I'm just asking, you have to ask the question. You've seen the dark, the dark night movie. Have I? Jesus. Yeah. So okay. So you know the 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 way when when Lucius Fox is talking with Christian Bale, his character Bruce Wayne, and he's saying, you know, um, or it could have been the first one, but where, where but the neck area where it allows him to rotate, um, but it is also restrictive as well and protective. The NFL or some partner needs to be able to develop a connection between the back of the helmet to the shoulder pad. That only allows you to that allows you to rotate left and right and look up vertically, but at a certain level, if you try and bend your head down, it will restrict the helmet from allowing you to lower the crown of the helmet. So you're always going to be vertical. And I think if you develop something like that, that would eliminate these head-to-head collisions that you're seeing. As long as the player can still move freely and you know get that left-to-right movement, um, you know from a 90-degree angle. And then, you know, looking up as you're trying to catch a ball or catch a punt or something like that. But that's going to that's going to literally force defenders and running backs to keep your head up so that you don't have these contacts. You're, you're talking about the scene where um, Christian Bale's like, I got to go spelunking. Yeah. 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 
That's in uh, that's in the Dark Knight. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's they're trying, but it's not. They're not really trying, in my opinion. That's a good point. I mean, no, I mean, that's why I mean I wanted to kind of frame this and talk through it. Obviously, with a guy that played with uh, played at a high level and, and also had an injury because of because of a tackle, right? And and just understanding that helmet to helmet, um, you know that 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 helmet to helmet collision. So um, yeah, really good breakdown there. Had some funding rounds. We only really got a couple here today. So the first one is a golden auction. So the golden auctions uh, has become one of the largest auction houses for sports collectibles. Obviously, that is huge right now. Um, shout out to uh, NBA Top Shot as well. If you're not in the blockchain, definitely need to check that out as well. But uh, yeah, golden auctions is a sports collectibles for trading cards and memorabilia. Um, they've been around, I believe, since about 2012. So the Turning Group and a handful of celebrities across sports, including uh, Mark Cuban, Kevin Durant, Dwayne Wade, and Deshaun Watson, are investing $40 million into the uh, latest round for Golden Auctions. So shout out to them. Obviously, again, we've talked about it numerous times here, especially over the last few months, just where trading cards are. That's why I kind of referenced NBA Top Shot there. Uh, it's really just taken off. If you, I, uh, there's actually a podcast. So SI Media podcast uh, had Darren Rovell on recently. Uh, so if you if you want to get into that or you're you're looking to understand more about it, definitely check that podcast out. Um, they they did a really cool breakdown uh, of what that looks like and what it is and how you can get certified or how you can like look into what cards have values and why the cards in the eighties and nineties don't have value and what, you know, what you should be looking for if you're trying to get into it, um, to make a little money, obviously. And to, it's, to be honest, I, I just got back into it. I have a ton of old cards and there's something really nostalgic and fun about getting 10 packs of cards and like opening them up and seeing what's in there. So, um, there's tons of different, you know, live live auctions, uh, you know, live streaming platforms that we highlighted last week that are in this space, uh, and then Golden Auctions is another one of these that has popped up uh, as the memorabilia industry has continued to grow. The last one, really no sports tech uh, aspect of this, but I just wanted to highlight the Brody as we call him, uh, the Washington Wizards point guard Russell Westbrook. Um, he just joined the digital banking platform Vero Bank as an investor and advisor. So they announced a $63 million funding round. Uh, Vero aims to provide affordable banking services to individuals who've been traditionally underserved by America's financial system. Very interesting that this is coming out on the heels of everything uh, that has been the stock market uh, and Robinhood and everything like that. So very cool. Obviously, there's so many things that we could talk about around banking and and lending and things like that that have happened to people that have been disproportionately um, served in this country are really affected, right? Uh, uh, obviously, like speaking of minorities there. So really cool what their aim is and aiming to do there for Vero. So that rounds out our, uh, our sports tech uh, news for the day. Again, I'm uh, Sterling or Mac, and that is Taylor, TaylorMac29. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram. So we appreciate y'all. Uh, continue to rate, give us feedback, uh, but we will see you on the next edition and episode of Sports Tech Atlanta Sea Talk.